0: point (laughs) that'll wrap things up for this edition of extra points so for everyone in the studio have a good night and as always go blue you are listening to wcbn fm ann arbor the sports department would like to thank you for your continued support of the university of michigan student radio Lost knocked over to Campbellini, winds up and he scores! Jeff Campbellini lets a laser go from the near side circle and the Wolverines take a 1-0 lead off the rocket, off the stick of Jeff Campbellini. Oh, uh, apparently we are on the air. Well, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. I'm obviously going to have to get in a different chair, because I am now the (laughs) mini-me. That does not look comfortable.
1: Don't worry, he grows on you. But I guess uh, it's good for your... uh, And I'm on a piano bench, so uh, uh, I guess I'll be the Liberace on today's program. You're squatting... uh, help you with your squats if you're lifting weights, but I don't
0: do that kind of nonsense. Uh, Anyway, obviously, uh, today's show took an unexpected turn uh, when, uh, well, the deadliest U.S. shooting in American history. That's uh, all that needs to be said. Um, Yay, guns. We don't know enough about some of the factual information, but obviously this is a... uh, it looks like a murder-suicide situation. In fact, it, from what I can tell, it looks like a domestic uh, violence situation that then turned into a murder-suicide situation. Does it involve military personnel? We don't know that yet. Uh, no I'm information is going to turn out to do so. Which is uh, rather odd, because uh, let's remember that by this time on uh, the 22nd of November 1963, J. Edgar Hoover had already determined that Lee Harvey Oswald had killed John <laughs> F. Kennedy alone. And, oh, if only J. Edgar Hoover were here with his certainty to... Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we don't the even have the clear. identity of the gunman, but it does sound, unfortunately, oh. like probably a Virginia Tech student. Um, we've commented about this before in the past. Uh, you know, the average American has got much more to fear from fellow Americans and guns than they do from terrorism. And I would just observe that uh, since nine eleven. Well over 100,000 Americans have died in gun violence here in the United States.
1: Including a a 14-year-old boy locally. Yeah. Just recently.
0: And um, there is perhaps some negligence at play here with the way Virginia Tech handled this situation. I guess we'll find out more details on that in the future. But I'm sure it will turn out that this uh, perpetrator is no doubt a video game baby uh that grew up with doom grand theft auto, probably death metal and or rap, and is unfortunately probably uh Americans aren't outraged by this sort of uh <laughs> culture that we have here they are very outraged by don Imus um uh, he's he's fired you know uh, but uh, they don't seem to be terribly outraged by uh, these continuing problems with uh, with murder uh, here in the United States, it's important to remember that America has more homicides per year than the rest of the industrialized nation combined times a factor of 11. Uh, this is staggering. And as part of the, uh, I don't know, culture uh, uh, warp that uh, this country finds itself in, um, fascinating to learn that 31 percent of americans don't even know who our vice president is that's on today's <laughs> front page of the ann arbor news i'm sure that's good
1: news for dick cheney
0: yeah <laughs> well he they're, they're, <laughs> of course his oh. approval ratings are below 31 yeah. percent <laughs> <laughs> so it makes you wonder um how you can disapprove of the vice president if you don't even know who he is um but it's, it's this culture of violence. You know, here we have a trial involving Padilla, and I bring him up only because, uh, if you'll recall several years ago, the uh, <clears throat> attorney general at the time, John Ashcroft, had a splashy news conference uh, talking about a dirty bomb that uh, mm. Padilla was allegedly involved in, and that uh, allegation has completely vanished from the trial. Meanwhile, uh, the CIA, and this is uh, interesting a Story that broke a couple of weeks ago wants an agent to testify in disguise and use a fake name in the terrorism trial of Pradeo <laughs> What <laughs> yeah, and I thought to myself Why on earth would anyone consider such a ridiculous? It says the agent would wear a wig eyeglasses or minor minor facial hair and I thought well E. Howard Hunt is the expert of disguises. <laughs> uh, why, why reveal it? Grow a beard, whatever. <laughs> it's an unbelievable. But this is the kind of country we live in. And, of course, uh, we'll, we'll have the usual platitudes uh, from our political leaders uh, that we need to pray um, right. that God is uh, looking over America and uh, that there are victims here. But you can rest assured that absolutely nothing will happen in terms of substantive policy uh, as a result of this incident. Uh, Unfortunately, the price of college tuition just went up substantially because you're you're guaranteed to come in uh, with with, uh, proposals such as, you know, we need uh, metal detectors in all the buildings, we need more security, and we need this, that, and the other.
1: Well, it reminds me of a few years back when Charlton Heston was invited to... uh, university campus somewhere in this great land of ours to speak on behalf of the NRA and uh, made a big stink about the fact that there were no metal detectors at the doors of the building in which he would be speaking. He was concerned, old Chuck Heston, that some anti-gun nut was going to come in and shoot him. With a gun. With a gun. (laughs) Um, Apparently, the irony was entirely lost on the man. Perhaps his scarf from Soylent Green was still too tight. It's impossible to determine what was Charlton Heston's uh, problem there, but um, I'll briefly, you know, defend the the video game thing. I'm not sure that uh, video games uh, are, are really that uh, blameworthy with regards to. These sorts of people who snap, there's there's millions of people who play them as a sort of a recreational pastime, and uh, not all the video games are involving shooting and so on. No. I personally find the games a little disturbing myself. Things like Grand Theft Auto, where you you know rack up points for shooting prostitutes or whatever. I, I think there's some weirdness there. Can we call them hoes? <laughs> I think probably players of the games do. But um, but no, my friends who play these games are, in, in other respects, entirely normal, creative, uh, healthy uh, people. Um, to me, th- the bottom line on these shootings is the guns. It's yeah. just simply the accessibility to guns. There's always people in this country who are going to make the argument that we need our constitutional access to guns to protect us from the government. Well, if you think that your, your handguns and your shotguns and your hunting weapons, and I'm you know, all for hunting, don't get me wrong, I think that uh, sportsmen should have access to firearms for their recreational purposes, but uh, it's, it's clearly evident, the statistics are just demonstrably uh, clear, that uh, a weapon of self-defense in the household is more likely than not going to be turned against a fellow house member, whether it's in a suicide in a depressive moment or in a moment of anger or an accidental discovery by a child. But this dubious notion that guns are going to protect us from the government is so ridiculous that it boggles the mind that any grown adult could harbor such an illusion. When the government can monitor your cell phone calls, your emails, you know, what good is a gun? Well,
0: they have bigger guns.
1: (laughs) They have bigger guns. They have planes. They have tanks. They have the United States Army in as bad a state of disrepair as it is. And I pointed out last week
0: they have drones. They can actually um, use uh, unmanned drones to bomb your house if they want to. And And they can see your
1: license plate from, you know, eight miles up. So uh, your handgun is not going to protect you from... The government, or the black helicopters, or whatever. Um, we need to seriously uh, consider the ways in which guns and their role in society have changed. I mean, when the Constitution was written, it was an entirely different world, and uh, we just don't need guns in the way that we once did. This this country is trigger happy. Um, interesting little item here from Harper's Index that, that relates tangentially here. Two items. Uh, this is the. Uh, The new issue, the May issue has just arrived. Percentage of Pakistanis and Indonesians who say that attacks on civilians are sometimes justified to defend Islam. Eight. That's quite small. I'm sure much smaller than most Americans would assume. But check this one out. Percentage of Americans who say that attacks on civilians are sometimes justified. Twenty-four. Okay, who are the extremists there? Who are the proponents of violence. Uh, This is an incredibly violent country. Our our country is premised on violence and land grabs and slavery and all sorts of hostility and abuse. Uh, Guns have simply been uh, a a tool in that. Kurt Vonnegut, who passed away recently, sadly, uh, once observed that the only purpose that guns serve is to put holes in people. Indeed. And that if you have a gun, it will get used to put a hole in a person. And, and we let's need to remember there are more guns in America than people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> quite sobering. I
0: mean, uh, we and could... this gunman clearly had several on hand. Right. And uh, of course, I don't mean to uh, smear all video <gasps> games when I call oh it a yeah video I... game baby, but it is well known that in previous school shootings, um, the perpetrators have been into these games, and in fact, one expert even. Um, predicted and i think accurately so that it will probably emerge um that sometimes the gunman the perpetrator whatever actually view the video game shortly before pulling off the act to calm their nerves to sort of go through the mental um numbing shall we say to obliterate any sense of consciousness about what's going on and of course it's fascinating that even our pilots Uh, in the U.S. military are trained uh, with video games.
1: Well, the point was reached in the 80s. I had a friend who was in the ROTC uh, organization at the time here on campus who uh, told me that uh, the military um, engineers had changed the uh, control panels, and we've seen this in recent wars, information about the way tanks are piloted and some of the music uh, that the guys driving the tanks listen to is a little on the scary side. Death metal? Yeah, that they couldn't make... (laughs) the simulators any more like the planes and tanks so they did just the opposite they made the planes and the tanks more like the simulators which are essentially video games so there is an extent to which in fact the army recently within the last couple of years made available as a internet download um a tank driving video game you know sponsored by the u.s army well gee that's military training for the youth of america mm-hmm. and um when it's under those auspices it becomes uh, more than just a little disturbing
0: Yes, and, uh, of course, none of the broader issues of violence will be addressed in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you can count on that. Uh, just real quickly, um, the average uh, gun-related violence in America is about 18,000 murders a year and about 15,000 suicides. Those are the rough numbers. Um, we will, of course, remain outraged by Don Imus's comments as a, as a society, but uh, not... By the problems uh, inherent in uh, the ubiquity of guns and our culture that uh, glorifies them, and to quote Kurt Vonnegut, and so it goes.
1: Indeed. And uh, I've been so busy lately, and I apologize for missing the last couple of shows, but uh, hopefully next week I can pull together uh, something more like a fitting tribute to Kurt Vonnegut, uh, a writer who I think profoundly touched uh, people of our generation mm-hmm. um certainly a major influence on uh, my intellectual and spiritual development i was lucky enough to have an uncle um more like a big brother than an uncle i suppose about seven years older who gave me my first uh, kurt vonnegut book when i was probably at the too young age of fifth grade mm-hmm. and uh so i've been reading kurt vonnegut since the fifth grade and uh Really a profound thinker whose thoughts were cleverly concealed in simple, plain American speech and the profundity of laughter. And uh, I don't think it's really quite sunk into me yet, um, just how sad his passing really is. Yeah, unexpected, because uh, he, he suffered a fall and basically died sort of unexpectedly
0: as yeah. a result of complications from the fall. But I thought it was interesting on the uh, news NewsHour's uh, tribute to Vonnegut on Friday, they had... Uh, a couple of critics uh William F Buckley's son and uh Chris Buckley who wrote uh the the thank you for oh, smoking, you for smoking and right. satire and they talked a little bit about his literary um comparison to to Mark Twain and how there was a oh. very similar um aspect to both uh the dark humor the dark humor as well as the personal tragedies within their lives True. that affected uh shall we say their world view and uh it was also interesting to f- discover—I mean, I, I was unaware of this. I knew that they were sort of literary uh, pals, but I didn't realize that Joe Heller and uh, Vonnegut were essentially neighbors hmm. and that uh, Catch-22 was published in the early 60s, slaughterhouse Five in the late 60s, and that these were, of course, the two sort of brilliant novelistic uh, interpretations of World War II, both from a anti-war perspective, mm-hmm. so to speak— uh, Catch twenty two, by the way, is a movie that's absolutely brilliant. I don't know why it's uh, not shown more often. On yeah, that really campus. is the way it was film. when I first came to town. But it's interesting how Vonnegut um, was such a big influence on my contemporaries growing up in the in the '60s when I first became aware of him, and the '70s, and then mm-hmm. he sort of—I don't want to say he just disappeared, but it, his significance seemed to kind of wane um, for reasons that uh maybe sometime we'll have to analyze uh so yeah we can certainly talk more about vonnegut uh, in an upcoming show uh meanwhile welcome to Terrorland. uh this is the united states of america where um yet once again you know and, and officials are going to say that they're shocked uh what's shocking about this this is this happens in america every year practically right. I mean, there was a a, a terrible tragedy in Amish Amish land just a year ago, and I'm willing to predict within uh, the decade we'll uh, we'll see this 33 uh, number surpassed by yet another mass uh, shooting by some uh, deranged uh, law-abiding American citizen. A couple of uh, other items from the uh, Harper's Index last month as it relates to uh, this peripherally. It says the percentage of American adults held in prisons or mental institutions in 1953 and today, respectively, 0.67, 0.68. Percentage of these adults in 53 that were in mental institutions, 75. Percentage today that are in prisons, 97. Um, Estimate there's, the, there's the Reagan policy of yeah. uh, cutbacks in funding to uh, mental health institutes. An angler, uh, yeah, in the state of Michigan. Big time. Estimated amounts that U.S. adults who grew up poor cost the economy each year through increased crime: one hundred and seventy billion dollars. Estimated amount they cost the economy through higher health care costs: one hundred and sixty billion dollars. Um, you know, here in the state of Michigan, obviously, there are budget problems, and it's uh, always uh, illuminating to know that about 25% of the state budget is spent on corrections. That's uh, where your tax dollars are going.
1: know, yeah, indeed, the uh, fair city of Jackson, Michigan, uh, 35, 40 miles west of us, where uh, I grew up, uh, hosts as many listeners I'm sure know the largest walled prison in North America it's grown in size it is now in the wake of the closing of most of Jackson's small manufacturing plants the single largest employer um, in Jackson County and I think probably it's getting close to uh, surpassing the automotive industry for just sheer numbers of employees um, which is pretty disturbing uh, to contemplate that that has become the growth industry It is one of the growth
0: industries, and there was a brilliant uh, analysis of what's known as the prison industrial complex written in the Atlantic uh, several years ago. I'll have to maybe bring that
1: uh, article back. Actually, and and speaking of Kurt Vonnegut earlier, uh, his last novel, which he announced it was his last novel, he continued to generate a couple of books of essays and, in fact, wrote uh, kind of a semi-regular column for In These Times, um, in his final couple of years, but uh, his last novel, Timequake, featured an element whereby American prisons had been sold to uh, Japanese private contractors and were being run as uh, businesses, for-profit businesses. Um, hopefully that will never, in fact, come to pass, but I think it was kind of a prescient uh, nod there from uh, a master of satire.
0: Yeah, and, and appropriate because uh, just to use another Harper's Index thing to illustrate the point. Ratio in 1999 of the number of U.S. federal employees to the number of private employees on government contracts, 15 to 6. Ratio last year, 14 to 15. Mm. (laughs) So it gives you a good idea of uh, how the Bush administration has uh, changed our government. And as I was observing last week uh, regarding some phony uh, employment statistics uh, probably uh, is, is the, where this, these construction jobs are being created, not here in America where the housing industry is uh, in free fall, but uh, in Iraq uh, doing God knows what. Making Taco Bells. And so there's uh, supposedly 126,000 private contractors on the payroll in Iraq, uh, part of uh, Bush's job creation program uh, for the United
1: States of America. Well, here's an interesting item uh, talking about terror land and threats to uh, security and so forth. Uh, Seth Borenstein from the Associated Press has an article here in today's Free Press. Global warming is seen as a major security risk for United States. This is... uh, a serious threat to America's national security, global warming, Hey, with terrorism worsening in the United States, we will be likely dragged into fights over water and other shortages, according to retired military leaders. Well, they may, uh, may have gotten this information from uh, the past decade or so of gray matters, in which this has been talked about down here for a long time. <clears throat> but this report, which includes uh, the former Army Chief of Staff, and uh, President uh, Bush's former Mideast peace negotiator warns that the next thirty to forty years there will be wars over water. One could argue that, in fact, those wars have already begun with the skirmishing um, over uh, access to aqueducts in Israel-Palestine. Yeah, uh, and I settlement think- is a large uh, the, the placement of settlements near and over aqueducts is a major uh, concern there.
0: Yeah, and as one expert, global warming expert, pointed out, uh, part of the problems in Darfur are connected mm-hmm. to the expanding uh, desert and the lack of water, and that this is one of the reasons that this uh, ethnic cleansing is, uh, is occurring there uh, without, <laughs> I, I dare say, much response uh, from either the United States or the Western uh, world in terms of government action at large hmm. so this, token token right. uh, but action now,
1: it's actually got to the point where six retired admirals and five retired generals are warning of a world in which climate change is destabilizing the political situation and turning it into a breeding ground for terrorism pretty obvious stuff, you know, if you're a regular listener to programs on WCBN, but now even the retired military are acknowledging it, so it's further along than uh, than it really needs to have been. Yeah, alas, they're uh, retired, however. Right.
0: <laughs> so some of them have no doubt been uh, booted upstairs yep. for uh, questioning some of the uh, military thinking of strategic people like Paul Wolfowitz. Uh, who seems to be in a little bit of hot water. Perhaps uh, he and Don Imus can switch jobs. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Uh,
1: that be one way to rescue Wolfowitz's <laughs> problem at the World Bank. Speaking of which, just real quickly on that, I don't know if you've got something on that, but in uh, today's Wall Street Journal just a phrase that jumps out at me. The article is by Greg Hitt. Wolfowitz memo dictating raises given to friend now haunts him. Mm -hmm. Well, the idea of memos haunting is of course becoming endemic in the Bush administration with the missing emails and the, the computer programming that apparently spontaneously lost, you know, thousands of emails generated by Rove's office. But what struck me in this article, um, which is basically critical in its tone of, of Wolfowitz, uh, Uh, Sweetheart deal for his girlfriend. I like how she's depicted as his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, Not his mistress. Not his mistress or his lover or his fiance or Or whatever. Even his hoe. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, for that kind of money, there's probably plenty of people out there who'd be Wolfowitz's hoe. I think that word is going to beleaguer our
0: society for the (laughs) remainder of the 21st century. Uh,
1: Yeah, well, it certainly has affected the way teenagers approach uh, the language of Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. But um, what hoe? Anyway, Wolfowitz, who, by the way, earns $400,000 a year. 300? Three. Three minutes. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, this clock says seven. So uh, confusing signals from our chief engineer. So anyway, um, $400,000 a year. Mm-hmm. For that, what Paul that, Wolfowitz does. That, that's, uh, incidentally, what that's the president... That's not enough for him and his girlfriend?
0: That, that, that's what the president makes, by the way, just by coincidence. Okay,
1: well, that's interesting. But Bush came
0: uh, in and got a, a raise. They, they doubled his salary, and of course... Uh, They've gotten about half the results,
1: <laughs> <laughs> if that. <laughs> but what what struck me after the fact that Paul Wolfowitz makes an obscene amount of money, um, and surely if my family can get by on the meager income that we have, we're you know comfortable and happy and so forth. But uh, four hundred thousand dollars a year isn't enough for he and his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, this language really poked me in the eye. That the World Bank is described by Greg Hit as the world's biggest anti-poverty institution. Mm. Hello. Not quite. No, not not quite. The World Bank is essentially a for-profit institute. That I mean, there's all sorts of money harvesting that's going on. The way money is squeezed out of uh, third-world countries. And uh, okay, in some ways, it seems like a charitable organization, but it's not anti-poverty. It's pro-development. Yeah, it's what it is. It's all about kind of foisting huge contracting jobs on uh, you know third world countries to you know develop their economies, whereby they also enrich the uh, construction firms with all the connections to the guys who run the World Bank, the Bechtels, yeah, and so forth. So, and there needs to be far more examination of precisely what the World Bank does, uh,
0: both good and bad. Um, I think that would be a more constructive uh, utilization of any investigation of Wolfie, our uh, our equivalent of Robert McNamara. It's always been yeah. amazing to me that uh, the coincidence between Lyndon Johnson kicking uh, McNamara upstairs to the World Bank mm-hmm. uh, in 1969, 68, excuse me, um, and Bush uh, promoting Wolfowitz to the World Bank in view of the— uh, Iraq uh, fiasco. Uh, We got a couple of minutes left. Anyway, I I wanted to mention something that is in the brand new Nation magazine uh, by Victor Novasky. Apparently in New York uh, this past month, they had a symposium at uh, NYU's uh, Center for the United States and Cold War, sponsored a day-long conference on Alger Hiss and history. Hmm, I've always been very interested in the Alger Hiss case. Uh, And Navasky has been, at various times, a defender of Hiss, but I'm just going to point out a couple of three noteworthy things about the conference that Navasky observes that I think are relevant. For the first time ever, Alger Hiss's stepson, Timothy Hobson, who lived in the Hiss household until he was 14, including the period when Chambers claimed to be a regular visitor, told his story publicly now 80, hobson said quote i know chambers was lying because i was there he wasn't he also blamed Hiss's defense counsel for not calling him as a witness he had been uh, less than honorably discharged from the navy as a homosexual and Hiss's attorneys thought that the stigma would cast a negative shadow over the defense also his told his stepson he would rather go to prison himself than see him attacked and publicly humiliated That, by the way, is factually correct uh, regarding Hobson and whether or not he would be called as a witness. Kai Bird, the Pulitzer Prize-winning co-author of uh, American Prometheus, The Triumph and Tragedy of Robert Oppenheimer, uh, is about to publish, uh, along with a uh, Russian researcher named uh, Slatanya Chervonaya, I apologize, I should have reviewed the name before uh, reading this ad lib, In a uh, 1700, uh, excuse me, 17,000-word paper, Who is Ailes?, soon to be published online in The American Scholar, argued that by going by Venona, Hiss could not possibly have been Ailes, because among other reasons, Hiss was publicly and visibly in Washington when his U.S.-based control had Ailes in Mexico. Finally, Jeff Kisseloff, drawing on new research courtesy of the Freedom of Information Act, documented that Heidi Massing, the only witness besides Chambers who testified that Hiss had been a member of the underground, first omitted uh, Hiss from her story, introducing him into her account only after Chambers produced the pumpkin film and publicly accused him of espionage. Her husband was under threat of deportation at the time, and she had lied in several other previous interviews. Kisseloff makes the case in, that her testimony against Hiss was the result of FBI prompting. So these are interesting observations by Navasky, who uh, introduced his piece Hiss and History. Uh, Quoting a literary critic named Leslie Fielder who wrote it is time many of us feel to forget this whole business the prison doors have closed on Alger Hiss. Let us consider the question also closed. I think it's an open question. And I think uh, I'm getting a signal that we're uh, out of time. So it's a question that we'll have to address in a future show
1: indeed the dark pumpkin patch is an embarrassing blemish in american history
0: and was uh, consecrated as a national park by ronald reagan 40th president of the united states well thanks to alex for engineering this evening do stay tuned yazoo city calling is coming up next right here on wcbn fm and arbor go wings
1: yeah so far so good what a play by Philip Park
0: <laughs> I, I was sitting down, wasn't doing nothing wrong. Man walked up to me, said, For how long have you been from home? Now, don't you want to ride? Now, don't you want to ride? Boy, there's a free train running. Don't you want to
1: ride?
0: Now, I was in a place, I was playing the blue. Lady walked in and she bought a bottle of food. She said, now don't you want to ride? Now, don't you want to ride? Now, there's a free train running. Thank uh-huh.